So welcome everyone again to another session. Things are settling in on the first day very nicely. The title of this talk, this first talk I'm going to give, is called The Last Troubadour. And it'll make sense as we go through it. But it's actually a play on words from um, a recent article I read by Richard Flanagan, the award-winning um, Australian novelist who lives in Tasmania. Um, in an article he wrote, which I'll come to, on the environment and in particularly birds, and he talks about the lost troubadour, but I've turned it into the last troubadour for this talk. Now, this is not going to be um, your typical conventional Zen Dharma talk as a beginning talk. Um, the theme of it is about um, global warming and about the extinction of wildlife and pollution. Um, it's not focusing so much on our personal well-being, or it does indirectly, um, or our family well-being or our relationships, but really to do with our relationship, our relationship with the whole earth um, in which we're embedded. And um, as we all understand from the media, you know, global warming, um, extinction of species, pollution is the defining issue of our times. It's not fundamentally a political issue, it's a scientific issue of fact. And um, when we consider that Zen is a practice which is based on the principle of interbeing, that all beings are connected as a whole in an ecological whole, that we're all part of the whole, and we're breaking down this deluded sense of separateness from the whole, then when we, we regard that, that that's at the heart of this teaching, it seems kind of ridiculous for me to not be addressing it as a Zen teacher and not addressing our dysfunctional relationship with the natural world around us. So I'll read to you a little bit of um, uh, Richard's uh, story that he um, presented in the Guardian newspaper recently, which is about birds. Um, but before I go on to say that, you know in our practice principles, we talk about being caught in the cell-centred dream. Well, as a human species, collectively, we're caught in the self-centred human dream. Mm -hmm. And somehow we think that we're the most important species on the earth and we have some privileged position here. First of all, it was through God gave us a privileged position, but when that got debunked through evolutionary theory, now humanism and so on still conveys the same kind of view that somehow human rights are far greater than animal rights or the rights of any other kind of life form on the planet and they're just here to serve us in some way to benefit our, our future. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that uh, view still exists and it needs challenging. <coughs> and, uh, you know, as a species, from an evolutionary point of view, we're an extremely successful species. We've taken over the world, we're at the top of the food chain, um, we exploit everything else, 
And at the same time, collectively, old, young, developing nations, developed nations, white, black, male, female, the whole lot, the whole human race, apart from being, from an evolutionary point of view, the most successful species were also the most destructive and the most ruthless and the most careless um, in how that we've engaged in um, the history of our time here on the earth. Now, this is about birds. Now, I also have um, a great love of birds and, um, and birds have a special place in the Zen tradition as well. But I was recalling over the last few years, I've gone, I've given several Dharma talks on birds. And while I love birds, I'm not very good on their names. Um, years ago, I gave a talk about um, a particular kind of bird. I didn't know what it was. And I was politely reminded by one of my students in Sydney that I was talking about cuckoos. And then another Dharma talk, I was talking about rosellas and magpies, but I was politely reminded they were lorikeets. Uh-huh. And, um, and then again, at a session in, um, in Stroud, I was talking about tawny frogmouths, but they're actually nightjars. Um, also gave a talk about where, the name of the talk was a peck on the cheek, where a butcher bird near where I lived attacked me and, and pecked me on the cheek and drew blood. I got that name right. And I'm very grateful for the experience. And then the last session we did in um, Stroud, um, I gave a talk called um, Zen Master Willie Wagtail, which is about this little bird that came to the Dyson room frequently and tapped on the window while I was doing Dyson. Just tap, 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 just that tap. Um, but he turned out to be a blue crested wren. Um, so I've been I've been right on one occasion with the butcher bird. So I'm not very good with the names of birds, but I love birds along with um, Richard Flanagan. And um, um, I don't know if I've turned off the no, I haven't turned off the voice memo here, and I can go into that. Richard says, Birds are liberation that never ends, but enjoying their company is also to know an inconsolable sadness. The fairy penguins under my shack are gone, and soon the forty spotted pardalites and swift parrots will join them. Our children knew these birds. Their children will not. Birds are an education to watch and a liberation that never ends. I love seeing the golden whistler sing so beautifully in its honeyed whistle to its reflection in our shack kitchen window like a lost troubadour. It is a cliche, but in this case, nevertheless, true to say that I feel my soul soar in the heat thermals above when a sea eagle that nests in a stag two kilometres down the coast arrives and circles and circles because it can, because it will, waiting, gyring, freedom, while the little songbirds nesting far below shriek a cacophony of terror, absolute freedom's corollary. 
Few things induce vaults of happiness in me, like the common cranky fan, grey fantail, when it meets me near the water tank and bursts into its elaborate dance, up and down like a demented matahari, if matahari were a bird, only a metre or two from my face. Sometimes I even dance with it. We live in the twilight of things. Granted one last glorious vision, unequal to even bearing adequate witness to the wonder that is vanishing and unable to halt it. Glimpsing in the destiny of these birds, perhaps our only postponed future. I sometimes have a sense of the greatest foreboding when those birds of traditional omen, the yellow-tailed black cockatoos, pass overhead. In the interminable space between each slow, forceful cut of air made by that bird's great wing beat, a whoomp, strong enough that you can feel if close, feel it as a draught, a deep silence opens out into the end of time itself. And when that happens, I go to the water tank, hoping that a cranky fantail may yet dance with me. Very touching prose, and very sad prose, you know, to wake us up to, to what is happening. So he talks about the lost troubadour, but the last troubadour will be the last of his species that sings class song before it's extinct, the last of his tribe. And as he said, we live in the twilight of those days when there's something's turned around. <coughs> now, you could liken the nature of planet Earth to being like a cancer patient. And the cancer patient's been smoking um, for half of his life and polluted his body with all these toxins and eventually the outcome of it is is he's got cancer <coughs> and the doctor finally diagnoses that he's got cancer. It's taken a long time for him to get through the denial um, but eventually kind of recognising maybe he's got cancer and the doctor says well is this treatment you could go through and there's some chance that you'll survive it Mm -hmm. and we recommend you do it um, and the other thing he says um, is I think it'd be a good idea to give up smoking mm -hmm. and the patient says oh yeah well I'll, oh, yeah, maybe I'll undergo the treatment but I don't want to give up smoking that's a situation that we find ourselves in the scientific facts are is that if we don't do anything the earth is going to overheat and it's going to die prematurely and we're still smoking. Mm -hmm. We've been given that information and yet we keep on smoking. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, 
we hear it on the media all the time um, that we're given a, a wake-up call almost every day and yet it's very hard for human beings to cut through the apathy to cut through the denial to just go on with our lives as though nothing's really happening you know um, focused on our next short-term goal whatever that might be <clears throat> the thing is too from a Dharma perspective is that we're all in this together and from a Dharma perspective it's not a matter of pointing the finger that it's um, you know European industrial cultures which have caused this and not indigenous cultures or children pointing the finger at adults or developing countries pointing the finger at developed countries whatever it might be we're all in it together even Aboriginal indigenous cultures before white invasion were responsible from the evidence for destroying all the megafauna that existed in Australia up to their time so we, we all have a hand in this in one way hunter-gatherer societies are arguably um, far more in touch and do less destruction but we're all in this in one way together so to go down the path of us all pointing the finger at different subgroups within human species as to who's to blame is to ignore the fact that human species as a whole are to blame for the dysfunctional relationship um, we have with the rest of the world and from a point of view of karma our collective human species karma is coming back to bite us and bite us pretty hard um, what we do about it I don't have I don't necessarily have the answers as to what we do about it and the answers are very big collective answers rather than just individual answers um, but we um, we all can wake up to get past the denial at least and then see where we go from there now in my own way of dealing with this I'm guided by the three guidelines or the three principles of um, the Zen um, Peacemakers Fellowship and uh, they are not knowing, bearing witness, and compassionate action. So not knowing is a humble place to start from, um, rather than, which is a place science starts from, doesn't know. You know, religions often start from a place of knowing everything. Science starts from a place of not knowing and goes from there. So what we do is compatible with that and um, it's also compatible with not taking a self-righteous stand mm -hmm. if you if you practice them long enough the self-righteousness drops away because you recognize through authentic mindfulness practice that you're a flawed human being just like everyone else mm -hmm. so the self-righteousness drops away we're all in it together bearing witness it's about just seeing what actually is there and what is happening without ignoring it, denying, denying it, pretending it's not happening. And to bear witness is to bear witness to the pleasant, the unpleasant and the painful. 
And as um, someone has said before, all of this is an inconvenient truth. To go back to Richard Flannery, he talks about on um, where he lives on Bruni Island in Tasmania. Um, there's a destruction of the white gums there that have been there for probably millions of years um, and they're being destroyed. And he and his community um, try to replant them and regrow them. And for every 10 white gums that are planted, only two survive. And he says, at best, it's a hopeless battle. And why we continue to fight it, I can't really say. Yet we do. And this resonates with our great vows for all that we recite. The many beings are numberless, I vow to save them, or my translation, I vow to end their suffering. It's like it's an endless battle. They're endless. Are you going to try and save them? Greed, hatred and ignorance rise endlessly. I vow to cut them off. Endless battle, but I commit to doing it. Dharmas are countless. I vow to wake to them again. The impossibility, but I vow to do it. And Buddha's way is beyond attainment. I vow to embody it fully. All of our vows resonate with Richard, what Richard is saying about trying to, to save the white guns. It's a battle. Why do we do it? But we do. Mm-hmm. And we need to remind ourselves um, as, we, as we sit here in this wonderful environment and that we hear those birds singing to us through this session, you know, and enjoy the experience of it so much. I'm sure you do as much as I do. Um, if things keep going the way they're going, um, maybe somewhere in the future, maybe a generation ahead or three or four, who knows, there'll be a meditation group that comes to vines and branches and it'll be a silent spring. If things keep going the way they're going, they won't be hearing birds sing. And that will be... Um, there will be the song of the last troubadour mm-hmm. and, and it will be a last. Mm-hmm. So I know it's a kind of painful talk to have to, um, something painful and uncomfortable to talk about, um, particularly at, at the beginning of session. Um, but I kind of feel, I gave a talk about it recently in Sydney and um, I felt a need to open this session with this talk, with this inconvenient truth, because I kind of feel like a bit of a, a fraud as a Zen teacher, if I'm just focusing on these individual issues and not addressing the big picture which is right there in front of us. 